Section number 39 of Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Caveat. Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages by Wilhelm Wagner. Section number 39. Part number 3. Section 2. Chapter 1. Legends of King Arthur and the Holy Grail 1. Titural His Call to the Grail At the time when the bold hero Vespasian was called away from the siege of Jerusalem to be made emperor of Rome, a rich man of Cappadocia named Parelli, or as the Romans called him Barillus, followed in his train. He was brave in war and wise in counsel in times of peace, so the emperor gave him large estates in Gaul. His virtues were inherited by his sons, grandsons, and later descendants. One of these, Titrazon, married a noble maiden named Elizabeth, but they had no children. The knight was much distressed at the thought that a noble and chivalrous race should end in him. Once, when he was quite elderly, a soothsayer came to the castle and asked for a knight's lodging, which was, as usual, granted. That evening, when he was sitting alone with his guest, the knight began to discourse on the sorrow of his life and the stranger told him that he ought to make a pilgrimage to the church of the Holy Sepulchre, and lay a crucifix of pure gold on the altar. Titrasone followed the wise man's advice, and he and his wife had the pleasure of having a son born to them. As the boy grew up, he showed rare gifts of mind, great piety and unusual strength. He had received the name of Titural at his baptism, a name that soon became known throughout the length and breadth of the land. When the boy grew to man's estate, he went with his father to fight against the heathen. He showed such marvellous prowess that his father began to praise him and prophesy great things for his future, but the lad modestly said he had only done his duty like the others. When the victorious army returned home, Titoral was not to be tempted to remain at court, but hastened away to his native place. Arrived there, he did not go first in search of his mother, but made his way to the chapel, dressed in the robes of a penitent. He approached the altar barefoot, and presented the booty he had brought from the war. Having prayed for God's blessing on all his undertakings, he rose from his knees, and going into the castle, hastened to embrace his mother. Titurel sometimes took part in the crusades against the Saracens. His gallant deeds were so numerous that they became noised abroad, and his name was held in honour by Christians and infidels alike. Many years passed on. Titrasone and his wife both died, leaving a large inheritance to their only son, the change in his outward fortunes made no difference to Titurel. He remained as humble in the sight of God and man as before. He had more to give away to the poor and needy. That was the only use of wealth in his eyes. One beautiful spring morning he went out to walk in the wood. Coming to a soft, mossy bank, he seated himself and looked about him. Flowers filled the air with their perfume. Birds were singing in the trees, and a gentle breeze whispered among the fresh green leaves. He felt full of peace and joy. It seemed to him as though God was speaking to him in the song of the birds, the rustle of the foliage, and the murmur of the brook. The sky was blue, one soft fleecy cloud alone was visible. He was surprised to see it coming as if towards him with extraordinary speed, and yet it was not driven by the wind. At last it sank to the earth before him, and out of it came an angel, who spoke to the hero in a deep melodious voice like the sound of an organ in church. Hail, chosen hero of the Most High! The Lord hath called thee to guard the Holy Grail on his mountain, Mount Salvatch. Set thy house in order, and obey the voice of God. The angel stepped back. 
The cloud closed around him like a silver veil, and he floated away to heaven. Titurel went home in a state of ecstasy. He divided his wealth among his servants and those who had most need of it, after which he returned fully armed to the place where the angel had appeared to him. Once more he saw the cloud in the sky, and this time it was fringed with the gold of sunshine. It went before him, showing the way to the goal of his pilgrimage. He went on and on through vast solitudes. At length he came to a deep, dark wood, and after that to a mountain, the sides of which seemed too steep to climb. But the cloud preceded him, and he followed, dragging himself up precipitous rocks, past great abysses that made him dizzy to look into, and through thickets of thorn. Often he felt so weary he could hardly drag one foot after the other, and was tempted to despair of ever reaching the top. But a voice seemed to speak to him encouragingly at such moments of weakness, and he found the strength to struggle on. At length he reached the top of the mountain. He saw a bright light before him. It was the Sangriel, borne in the air by invisible hands. Beneath it knelt a number of knights in shining armour. Seeing him, they rose to their feet and cried, Hail to thee, chosen hero, called to be guardian of the Holy Grail. He did not answer. His eyes were fixed on the sacred vessel, which was like a cup of emerald-coloured jasper, encircled by a strand of chased gold. Lost in the wondrous sight, he prayed for strength to guard which had been put under his charge. And in good truth, Titurel was worthy of his high calling. He, with the help of other knights under his command, prevented any infidels from approaching the holy mountain. Many years passed away, and the vessel never came down to earth. So Titurel determined to build a castle and temple on the mountaintop worthy to hold and protect Sangreal. Building of the Temple When the grass, ferns, and stones were cleared away, it was discovered that the rock, or core of the mountain, was one entire onyx of enormous size. This was flattened into a flooring and polished with great care, and upon it the castle was built. Now came the more important task of rearing the temple, but they were in doubt as to the plan and shape that would be most fitting. One morning when Titurel awoke, he prayed that he might be enlightened to know how to build the church, and when he went out he saw that the entire ground plan was clearly marked out on the rock foundation, and all the miraculous materials that were wanted ready piled up in huge stacks. So the knights worked hard all day long, and the invisible powers worked all night. It was wonderful how quickly the walls rose, and the church was finished. It was circular in form and had seventy-two octagon choirs, every two of which supported a belfry. In the midst rose a tower of many windows and openings with pointed arches. The topmost point of the tower was a ruby, out of which rose a cross of clear crystal surmounted by a golden eagle with outstretched wings. Within the building sculptured vines, roses and lilies twined about the pillars, forming bowers and whose branches birds seemed to flutter as if alive. At every intersection of the arches was a glowing carbuncle that turned night into day, and the vaulted roof was of blue sapphire, in which a miracle of art was to be seen. The sun, moon, and stars placed there by the builders moved in the same order as the real luminaries in the heavens. In the wide inner space of the great temple, a second and smaller sanctuary was built, resembling the first, but far more beautiful. This was the place intended for Sangreal, should it come down to earth. And now the work was finished. The hour of consecration had come. The bells rang. The priests began to chant the hymn, and a choir of angels joined in. Glory to God on high, peace on earth, good will to men. At the same moment a sweet perfume filled the air. The sacred vessel descended and floated above the altar in the inner sanctuary. A deep and solemn silence reigned in the mighty building. Then the invisible choir began to sing, 
The glory of the God has risen in Zion. Praise him, ye faithful, and make known his holy name. The priest spoke the blessing, and the consecration was complete. Titurel did not move for some time after the others had withdrawn. He was lost in wonder and joy. He did not touch the vessel, for he had not been told to do so. The building had taken thirty years to complete. After the consecration, a dove appeared every Good Friday carrying a wafer from the Holy Sacrament in its bill. It dropped the wafer into the sacred vessel, thereby keeping up the miraculous powers of the Grail, which provided food for the knights who guarded it, and healed any wounds they might sustain at the hands of the unbelievers who sometimes attacked them. His Marriage and Descendants Time passed on, and Titurel was four hundred years old, but no one looking at him would have thought he was more than forty. One evening, when he entered the sanctuary and turned his eyes upon the grail, he saw that it had a message for him. Drawing near that he might read the letters of fire in which all such commands were issued, he read that he was to take a wife, so that the chosen race might not die out of the land. He called the knights of the temple. They saw what was written, and said that he must obey. With one accord all fixed upon the Lady Riochard, daughter of a Spanish chief, as the most worthy maiden to be his wife. The wooing was done by solemn embassage, and neither father nor daughter was deaf to the call. The marriage took place, and on the same day Titurel received the honour of knighthood, which he had always refused to do before out of humility. Two children were born to Sir Titurel and his wife, a son named Primutal, and a daughter named Riochard after her mother. Twenty years later Titurel lost his wife, and was once more alone in the world except for his children, to whom he was devoted. Riachard, who was very lovely, married a king whose realm lay far away from her old home, and Fremotel married Clarissa, daughter of the king of Granada. By her he had five children, two of them were sons, Amfortus and Trevazant by name, and three daughters, Herzelida, Huseni, and Repance. Titurel was no longer able to bear the weight of his armour. He passed his time either in church or with his grandchildren. One day, when he went, as he often did, to gaze at the Holy Grail, he saw written in letters of fire on the rim of the vessel, Frimital shall be king. The old man's heart was full of joy. He called his son, his grandchildren, and all the young heroes who served the Sangreal around him, and told him what had been ordained. He then desired his granddaughter, Hosaini, to place the floating grail upon the altar, for she, as a pure virgin, could touch it. She obeyed, and then the old man put the crown on his son's head, and blessed him, and the assembled brotherhood. Titurel lived on, and saw many joyful and many sorrowful things happen. Huseni married King Kiot of Catalonia, and died at the birth of her babe, Sigun. Who fairer then was flowers and lusty may, that ope their dewy cups to dawning day. Her sister Herzelida took the child, and brought it up with Sean Natolanda, the orphan son of a friend. But after a time she lost her husband, and had to fly with her son Percival, leaving Sagoon and Sean Natalander under the care of friends. But worse things than this were yet to happen. Fremital thought his life at Montsalvatch confined and dull. He wearied of it, and went out to seek excitement in the world. He died of a lance-wound far away in the land of the unbelievers. His son, Amfortus, was crowned as his successor, in obedience to the fiery letters that appeared on the holy vessel. But he had inherited the wild blood and roving spirit of his father, and instead of fulfilling the office to which he was appointed, he went out into the world in search of love and fame. At length he was brought back to his grandfather, sick unto death of a wound caused by a poisoned spear. 
One day, while Sir Titurel knelt in the sanctuary praying for his grandson, whose life of pain was prolonged by the Holy Grail, appearing to him once every seven days, he suddenly saw these words in letters of fire. Murmur not, good old man. Endure the load of others' sins. A chosen hero shall one day climb the holy mount, if he ask, before nightfall, of the beginning and end of this tale of woe, then shall the spill be broken, and Amfortus cured, but the newcomer shall be king in his stead. Again and again Titurel read the mysterious words, and asked when the hero would come. He received no answer. But the words, murmur not, endure, shone brighter than before, and he bowed his head, leaving the future confidently to God. End of section 39